Hello, 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 and happy Saturday indeed. Let me be the first to wish you a happy Independence Day and 4th of July weekend. Okay, I bet I'm not the first person to wish you that, especially if you're listening to the show after the 4th. But anyway, happy 4th. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Uh, it's just a great day. It's a great time of year. It's the longest time of year. It's the most celebratory time of year. It's awesome. So hopefully wherever you are, wherever you're listening to the show, you're having a good time, getting some well-deserved rest and relaxation. I mean, we did have a summer last year, but we had a masked summer, a summer from a distance, a stressful summer where every time you would go into uh, any sort of group, you you were worried and petrified. Oh, am I going to get COVID? Am I going to spread it to others? It's, it's, it's much better to not have those fears isn't it? And I think I have a great show for you as we get ready for the 4th of July with a guest I am very excited to speak with. But uh, we had such an uplifting beginning, but I do have to dwell on the negative for a second. This was breaking news Friday that Shikari Richardson has been disqualified from competing and running at the 100 meter race in the Olympics next month. She's been suspended for one month by the World Anti-Doping Agency after testing positive for marijuana. So because of stupid and idiotic attitudes about marijuana and antiquated policies about marijuana, America will now be robbed of cheering for a rising LGBTQ hero. I mean, how awesome would it have been? And she could still compete in Tokyo. The suspension is for a month. She'll be eligible to come back at the end of July. She could still participate in the relay if USA Track and Field clears her. So that is still up in the air as well. And this is all over weed. And do you know why Shikari Richardson smoked weed? Do you know why she tested positive? I shouldn't say smoked. I don't know what. Ingested THC. Do you know why? She said it on Today Show Friday. Because her mother died a week before the Olympic trials. A reporter told her that, by the way. So imagine being told your biological mother has died right before your Olympic trials, then go out and you dominate your Olympic trials. Unbelievable. What a strong-willed woman. And she said she used marijuana during that period to try and cope with her biological mother's death. And she's disqualified. She's suspended. Her time is invalid. That is shameful. I mean, marijuana is decriminalized in most U.S. states. Who is this? Who is this serving? This ruling that marijuana is still a prohibited substance. It's certainly not performance enhancing. And from my vantage point, Shakari Richardson is an openly LGBTQ black woman. She has fierce, ever-changing hair. She was sporting orange hair during her Olympic trial. Afterwards. She said nonchalantly, oh yeah, my girlfriend picked this color for me. And that was it. How cool is that? I mean, we have the hunky white gay role models. We have Carl Nassib. We have Gus Kenworthy. We've had Adam Rippon. And America's cheered them all on. And now this summer, they were so close to cheering on Shikari Richardson. Maybe they still will, but right now they have been robbed of that opportunity. And that is just terrible. 
So as the Olympics approach, we're going full board on coverage here at OutSports. Certainly we'll have more on Jakari Richardson. I'm sure we'll know more when you reconvene next week. But as I was saying, it's time to talk about jock straps. <laughs> and more specifically, I don't think I was saying that. But yes, it is time to talk about jock straps. And more specifically, how they have migrated from sportswear to a gay staple. Louis Staples, I promise I didn't do that on purpose, wrote an incredible article about this on a publication called Another Mag, From Sport to Sex, How the Jockstrap Became Part of Gay Culture. It's an excellent conversation. One of my favorite interviews I've done in a while, I think. So here it is, Louis Staples. I hope you enjoy it. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast. As I was mentioning in the opening, I am super excited as I get ready to jet off to P-Town today, actually, to talk jockstraps with Louis Staples, <laughs> who is a journalist. He writes for The Guardian, Vice, The Cut, BBC Culture, and more. We're having him on today because he wrote a great piece in, at, uh, during Pride Month for another mag titled From Sport to Sex, How the Jockstrap Became Part of gay culture. Louis, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I was laughing slightly in your intro. I hope you didn't pick that up. That, I, that, <laughs> that's fine. You know, when you're packing to go to P-Town, jock straps are a must. <laughs> and you know why? We're going to talk, we're going to talk about why right now. So, so it's, it's very fortuitous. Um, yeah, I, I love the story for a number of reasons. And basically, uh, for those who are listening who may not have read the article, I'll just give a quick synopsis here, uh, and you can you know tell me if I'm right, if I'm wrong. Uh, basically, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go, but basically the jock strap is just one of many things that gay men have appropriated from macho masculine culture. You know, you talk about cowboys, jocks, leather daddies, you know, those really go back to traditional Hollywood representations of masculinity, and the jockstrap just seems to be a- another extension of that at its core. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, if we look back over contemporary gay uh, history, and, you know, particularly in America and Europe, uh, what we see is that there's kind of a pattern of gay men in particular um, borrowing and appropriating items from the dominant culture which they perhaps felt um, excluded from in some way. So the jockstrap is certainly an example of that. Um, And then it kind of becomes so borrowed that it then becomes a part of, I guess, what we would call, you know, a gay visual language. So something that we would all see as recognized as gay today. But back in the day, it would have been a lot more of a coded reference. So it's kind of gone full circle. Yeah, that is amazing because right now, maybe it's because I'm a gay man, but I solely affiliate jock straps with gays. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Me too. But of course, we would do that, wouldn't we? Because, I guess. you know, as I said in the article, there's um, different brands that are releasing jock straps for, you know, their pride yes. collections. You know, we have the whole rainbow color of Calvin yes. Klein jock straps, which they release. You know, of course, who could not mention the Lady Gaga Chromatica drop, yes. drop strap that came out last year? And I believe uh, Rihanna and Fenty um, released their own jock strap for Pride this year. And there's a whole bunch of other brands that do jock straps as well. Some of them queer owned, some of them not. So it's absolutely something that seems to be quite embedded in 
uh, gay, contemporary gay culture, but of course is like completely divorced from its original right. origins. Um, right. I think that's quite interesting how that's happened, particularly with things that people wear during sporting activities. Like it's certainly encouraging that we have a lot more openly gay athletes these days, you know, aren't proud, but I guess back in the, uh, the past, people maybe felt a bit more excluded from sports culture totally. and excluded from, you know, sports in school. And we see, you know, uh, the places like the locker room and whatnot are incredibly sort of highly fetishized areas and places where masculinity is very on display, but also kind of being questioned. So I think that all kind of feeds into how the jock strap has become this kind of like massively so after item. Yeah, and I mean, you, you touched on it. I mean, what is it about sports that we find so erotic? I mean, in your piece, I also learned that the bodybuilding magazines in the 50s were used as thinly veiled covers for homosexual imagery. You mentioned the locker room scene, you know, coach player scenes, uh, you know, it, the very popular role plays. Like, yeah, I guess it is gay people kind of re, uh, re, you know reclaiming the spaces where they felt unwelcome sports up until recently certainly has been at the top of the list. Yeah, I think that there's a sort of uniquely gay thing going on here as well, which is sort of like, I want to be you, but also I want to be with you, which I think kind of maps mm. onto all this stuff with jock straps, which I feel like is quite like a uniquely gay process of kind of like mm. wanting to be someone and then also probably wanting to, you know, have sex with them as well at the same time. And I think that that sort of applies to kind of these athletes that perhaps, you know, there's all this kind of imagery, as you said, that goes along with places like locker rooms in high school, you know, like high, maybe like the, the stereotypical story of like the high school bully and whatnot. Right, and then, yes, you know, hazing. Gay maybe, <laughs> yeah, gay men maybe not feeling like that's something that was so inclusive right. to them. But then right. there's a certain queerness, isn't there, about reappropriating that for yourself it almost goes sort of hand in hand with how queer people have reappropriated words like queer and you know like insults that have been thrown at us over the years that we now use it sort of almost runs parallel to that in a way of appropriating a a garment in fact that we felt represents something that we maybe were excluded from and then reappropriating that to the point where it's this pink chromatica drug strap or you know wandering around in your own gym wearing a jock strap is sort of saying something to the world. Right. Sort of saying that you've reclaimed that for yourself. And I guess there's also the sort of the elephant in the room, which is the the visual nature of the jock strap as well, right? Right. So it's, you know, it's extremely gay in its appearance um, in terms of how it, you know, hides the crotch, but, you know, accentuates it too with the pouch. And then around the back, you know, it sort of lifts up the butt and then exposes it. So... It's sort of a marvel to me that something that gay was ever considered this sort of hyper heterosexual right, right, right. garment because it almost looks like it was made for the gays. So <laughs> right. it's extremely unusual. Although I will say the, uh, you know, jockstrap that, uh, you know, the baseball player is wearing, I think is a little different than the Chromatica jockstrap, for oh, example. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. But even sort of like, you know, Nike have, Nike have a jockstrap Yes. Now that will, I mean, I'm not sure how long it's around, but it's just a sort of classic black one. And, you know, I, I could so supposedly, you know, see, you know, straight guys wearing that maybe in some setting, but to me, it's even the very black standard one still looks very 
gay, but maybe yeah. I'm like projecting onto it where I've seen it before. Who knows? But to me, it still looks like a very gay garment in its core. But it's also not the first time we've seen this reappropriation pattern. You know, if you look at something like leather fetish fashion, which is obviously nothing to do with sports, but it's a sort of similar thing of um, that happened in the post-war period where, um, you know, soldiers came back from the war and then kind of bonded through kind of riding bikes and wearing leather mm. together. And then gay men kind of like latched onto that as a kind of like a hyper-masculine image because up until that point, a lot of the characterizations of gay men in popular culture and whatnot had been, you know, kind of mocking gay men as like effeminate and stuff right. like that. So they right. kind of latched onto this like masculine thing. So there's, really a certain, interesting. there's a certain similarity between that and the jockstrap, although hmm. leather and the jockstrap are obviously different. It's the same process hmm. of sort of latching onto like an emblem of masculinity and then like owning it for yourself. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, and what I also thought was so correct in your story, and I want to dive into this with you, is, you know, all this stuff has been around, as you mentioned, for a very long time, but you write about how the jockstrap is having a moment right now. And you touched upon it, uh, all the brands that are making them, pride-themed jock straps. Why is that? Why does this feel like, even though, again, they've been around for you know, 50, 60, however many years, decades, you know, now is, is like their time. Why? Well, I sort of feel like there's a few reasons for that, really. Um, firstly, there's, you know, the undeniable fact that... Um, in popular culture anyway, and in mainstream culture, you know, gay sex and gay men are very visible right now. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, if you're thinking about things like Queer Eye, very mainstream representation, but even, you know, Lil Nas yep. uh, with, all the, with all the stuff he's doing. So there's a kind of like across popular culture from film to TV to music, there's a presence of, of gay sex. And I think that that's inevitably sort of making that a little bit less to do so it's sort of okay for these brands to do um their own versions of what is essentially you know quite a sexual garment for gay men to wear because it's just becoming a lot less taboo it's this had been right. 10 years ago you know some of these brands might be facing you know boycotts from right you know, certain people whereas now it's sort of become a lot more mainstream also i think there's the fact that actually if we think about it i've meant i mentioned this in the piece as well but i think about it as that it's almost a kind of a more of an acceptance of being the receptive person in mm -hmm. game sex so bottoming um, right. as we know it um has become a lot uh, specifically a lot less taboo as well so mm -hmm. not just gay sex but being the receptive person in gay sex because um, and that's for all sorts of different reasons. You know, we've got amazing advancements in the fight against HIV and HIV prevention with things like PrEP, which is like massively destigmatized bottoming. And um, over the last 10 years, I think there's been a lot of discussions within the um, LGBTQ and gay communities about, right. you know, femphobia and not, um, right. not shaming people. So I think that's really started to filter through to the point where, you know, if someone's wearing a jock strap, to me anyway, I would sort of presume that they are the bottom in the in their life. Right. That's, that's sort of what they're saying to the world to me, but not always. I totally sure. appreciate that. But that that's sort of what it brings to my mind. But I think that there's a sort of celebration of and an okayness about that now that we're seeing where people are kind of proudly able to sort of say that in kind of a sort of winking way, like being a bit cheeky and not having, <laughs> not fearing kind of like 
being put down massively because of that, you know. So I think that there's like, it's intersections of gay sex, it strides forward in HIV prevention, and I also think it's a celebration of bottoming as well, and of, of kind of that not necessarily defining people in the same way, but also being able to celebrate it. I think there's kind of those things going on. Cheeky, pun so most certainly intended. Uh, good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I did want to hit on that. I mean, I didn't previously consider how the advent of PrEP and HIV prevention has played a role in this. I think that's absolutely right for all the reasons you mentioned. And you talk about, you know, the bottoming culture. It is so prevalent right now. I live in Boston. I'm 28. Me and my friends all the time. Jokes. We're eating light tonight. You know, I, I go to P-Town for a day. I bring baby wipes in my bag. And like, like I am... It's 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 really especially online. It's such a culture that I, I mean, I don't think even when I was first coming out. Granted, I wasn't didn't have many gay friends at the time, but I mean the the change has been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I completely agree. I think that, that social media has a lot to answer yes. for in this situation. I didn't talk about that a huge amount in the piece actually, but it's completely true that you know if you look back to I'm also 28, so we're the exact same age, yes. and if we if we look back to you know, when you and I were teenagers or, you know, maybe first starting out in the gay world, um, right. you know, it was a lot more like gay media outlets were kind of like where people went for gay news. And then there was sort of like some gay stuff in mainstream places. But I feel like people discussing stuff on, you know, Twitter and mm-hmm. places like that has sort of, and gay Twitter specifically mm-hmm. has sort of created, you know, a whole kind of well of discourse around these topics. And, it's really like allowed these topics to be become mainstream, even in like mainstream, you know, publications and, and put people, you know, really discussing all this stuff completely openly, not like it's some big taboo thing. So, and you're right, there is so many, so many jokes and like memes and stuff. And, you know, I totally appreciate that not everyone thinks that's a positive thing. Some people would probably say that, you know, you shouldn't like, just because you're a bottom doesn't mean that you necessarily are this certain type of person. And right. I totally appreciate that. But, you know, there is a, 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 to pun again, a tongue-in-cheek nature to these things. And, sure. you know, I think everyone appreciates that, you know, just because you're a bottom, it doesn't mean that you're, like, a certain type of person. But I do think that all of that sort of stuff, you know, gay Twitter, all these memes, yeah. has sort of just, like, made people feel like they want to show off yeah. that side of themselves and be, yeah. you know, a bit more free about it. And, you know, posting jock picks on the main and all this stuff yes. i just feel like it's filtered into how it's become how it is as you said having such a moment right now so i think that all of this stuff has kind of come at the exact same time always 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 dangerous to go on the main we know that um <laughs> so um it, it's so funny like the media part too i didn't even think of but that's so right because you know Gay publications, you know, Out Magazine, etc., what you would see in pop culture, these are very vanilla type images. And I even go to, so I'm part of a flag football league, a gay flag football league in Boston, and I have a lot of good friends from that league who are in their mid-30s to early 40s, and like, they're all very gay. I mean, they do drag, we go out together, they, they do wear jock straps, but, you know, they, there is like a masculine facade about them that is not there with anybody my age like if you were to show up to a gathering of like a bunch of mid late 20 somethings and you weren't wearing five inch inseams you would feel very weird and out of place and like you know these guys would go out in a patriots jersey once in a while so i don't know it and, and i think that's because of the media that we've been exposed to too i don't know yeah i definitely think that's true like i think also 
you know, there would probably have been things written about, like, you know, as you said, like, bottoming and, you know, like, all that sort of stuff in gay publications, like, a little while ago. But I see stuff all the time written in, you know, mainstream publications about, like, you know, what to eat before bottoming and, you know, all this stuff like that that I would never have thought I would have seen in those platforms. And I think what's good about that is that when it's in gay publications, it's sort of like you're just talking to the gay people, which is obviously great and totally had its own place at one time. But now I think it's kind of great that, you know, that's becoming normal for other people to see. And I think that's maybe what's also driven the jockstrap becoming more mainstream is that people have become kind of, you know, people even who aren't gay, but are obviously supportive of gay people are kind of just like very, it's just become very normal to just hear people talking about gay sex and like not just, you know, love is love, but like, you know, like having sex with people, (laughs) you know, all that like sort of stuff. Like, you know, love is, it's not always love. It's just sometimes like a one night stand or whatever. So kind of talking about all those like parts of gay life, I feel like it's sort of allowed the, the jockstrap to come to have a moment. I also feel like, you know, maybe that it's having such a moment right now means that it'll soon be, you know, its time may have come. You know, sure. you never know. Like, I sort of feel like there's a pattern in gay history of, um, you know, there's sort of binaries of gender that have been in, in the past. So, like, part of the reason why gay people have appropriated items like the jog strap to become our own is because there's been, you know, that binary that we've been kind of playing with in terms of, like, subvert and whatnot. Whereas now I think, you know, it's so so different. It's a lot more kind of like gender being fluid and, you know, sexuality being fluid and, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. really kind of fucking with the notions of, sorry, I'm not... That's okay. So much, That's okay. Really We're a podcast. Messing with, messing with the notions of like masculine and feminine in a totally new way. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see with how the jockstrap features yeah. into all of that, you know, now that right. people are being more you know, totally, you know, you could wear like heels in a jock strap or like, right. you know, a dress and jock, like, I'm just excited to see how, Hot. you know, the net, the next generation of queers are going to kind of take this sartorial piece of our history and then see what they're going to do with it. Maybe they'll reject it or maybe they'll feature it in somehow into their world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, gay culture now is basically mainstream pop culture, right? You look at Dua, Carly Rae, I mean, Little Mix, I mean, you know, it's just like, I mean, millions of to, to name. Um, yeah, and, and I think, as you said, you also mentioned in the piece that it's like being in on the joke has always been part of it, but now it's, the joke is really out in the open with gay Twitter, yeah, gay TikTok, exactly. yeah. So I'm interested to see where the, where the joke will go, like whether we'll find, you know, new things to to make into our our in joke or whether this the dog staff will be adapted somehow i sort of feel like the the thing with the chromatic jock strap something like that is sort of quite funny because it's it's very sort of you know it is very for the gays but i do still feel like there is a very like winking notion to lady gaga like releasing her own jock strap like on her own website like i did feel like that was quite a moment in terms of you know, just very clearly marketing something towards yes. your gay fans. And I think that's, you know, kind of amazing that that hasn't happened more up until now. But obviously Lady Gaga has such an amazingly devoted gay fan base. And it's just so funny that she would just put, like someone on her team or whoever thought that that was a good idea. And to be honest with you, it was a genius marketing ploy. So I feel like all I saw for weeks on Twitter was people, you know, posting confirmation that they're, chromatic job straps that they bought and then kind of like complaining about how long the chromatic job strap was taking to arrive and all the rest of it and i feel like it was amazing promo so maybe we're going to see more things that are 
targeting different things within gay culture to see how people can market their stuff differently. Yeah, nothing's more powerful than a gay in a chromatica jockstrap, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> with a haircut. With a haircut, yeah. yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. I need to get mine. Uh, Louis Staples, uh, you can follow him on Twitter as well. Uh, how, how can the people follow you? Oh, at Louis Staples. Perfect. Yeah, just, that's it. Simple. Precise and simple. Louis, have a great weekend and thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing it. Uh, but I love those kind of articles, those kinds of stories. Uh, that's my jam. So thanks to Louis for coming on the show. And again, please, I would like to wish you all sincerely a happy 4th of July. This podcast is a joy for me to record each and every week. And well, I wouldn't be able to do it without you because talking to yourself gets old after a while. Trust me, I've done it. So thank you so long. We'll talk to you next, next Saturday.